Thank you very much for joining us tonight. As Gerard mentioned earlier on in my, uh, in my radio career, I was very, very fortunate um, to work with Red on his reunion show. Do you remember the reunion show on CKNW, Saturday nights? Some of the best music you'll ever hear, and of course, the best broadcaster that you'll ever hear. Uh, and Red uh, not only allowed me to produce the show, uh, but he really took me under his wing. I was an 18-year-old kid fresh out of high school. And, uh, you know, I went down to CKNW when it was still located in New Westminster, back at uh, 815 McBride in New Westminster. And uh, I remember going down there every second day for about four weeks and bugged the receptionist to give me a job or to talk to somebody to give me a job in radio because it was something I was really passionate about. And I had followed Red's and Rick Honey's career and Barry Godden and all of the great names that had come through that particular station. But of course, some of the names that had come through CJOR and CKWX and some of the big powerhouse AM radio stations back in the, uh, in the 70s and 60s. Of course, I'm, I was born in the 60s, so I wasn't prior to that. But uh, so when, it, when Red uh, asked and Phil asked me to be a part of this event where I had an opportunity not only to help out a charity that does such great work, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that a little bit later, but also to sit down with a man that I've known for 35 years who I started with and an opportunity for me to sit down next to my mentor and an idol of mine to share the stories that, that, uh, you know, that really made the passion for radio burn inside of me, but also give an opportunity for you to, to hear the stories about Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison and the Beatles and Elvis and all of those great artists that are, that are now gone but are not forgotten. And it was the heyday of radio, certainly. Legend, icon, trailblazer. Yes, he is all of those and more, but uh, there really isn't a word in the dictionary that can encapsulate the impact and legacy that this man has had on radio, television, advertising, live music, pop culture, really the history of entertainment, not only here in Vancouver and across the country, but globally, in my opinion. And we will try to cover as many of the amazing things and events he has been part of over his soon-to-be 82 years here tonight. It is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Red Robinson. Red has cool sounds that you'll like And CKW excitement on mic now on with the show, Red Robinson. We have mics in our hands. We're working together. Look at this. The two of us, 35 years ago, let me, I had a little bit too much to eat. I have to unbutton my, uh, <laughs> my jacket here. It, it, it's not showing, Al. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Red, I mean, this, this is a question, actually, that I could probably wrap up the interview with, but I wanted to start it. Sure. You know, when you look over your life and career, uh, do you sometimes pause and just go, wow, did I do all of that? Was I a part of all of that? It's like the Paul Anka song that he wrote for Sinatra. I did it my way. And it was a time when it was hard because I was a kid, yeah. and the, all the, uh, the guys said, Paul Anka will never last. Forget it. Elvis Presley, forget it. And you know what? The hell with it. I played it anyway. <laughs> well, uh, you know, some of us uh, were there to witness it from, uh, 
from the early days. Some of us were there to witness it later on or kind of midway through. Uh, but let's go back in the time machine, sure. shall we? Uh, you're a kid. You're, you're born in Comox. Yep. Later spending your high school years here in South Vancouver. Yep. Went to King Ed. Went to King Ed. Anyone here from Kid Ed? King Ed representing? No. <laughs> Uh, so it, bur it burned to the ground. Who did it? What year was that? <laughs> In the 70s. I, I had hoped all the time that I was there that it would burn to the ground. <laughs> now, uh, were you anywhere near the vicinity no. when that burnt down? I, I got away in a fast getaway car. <laughs> so, so you, you know, you, you're young and you're in your high school years. When did the music bug hit you and was it and was that the reason why you you ventured into the radio business what what was the first song you heard what what, what was it that brought you into uh, the entertainment well industry? actually my mother loved sarah vaughn billy Eckstein, louis armstrong and i listened to this and i thought you know and i listened to jack cullen every night who was a true icon and i thought man if i could do that that would be all i wanted in life so that's what inspired me. The first record I ever played was called Marie with the four tunes. Uh, that was on my own show when I finally got one. And it was a, a bebop, Marie, you know. Uh, it had been an old Tommy Dorsey hit in the 40s. Uh, but that's how it all got going. And my mother was a great backer. No matter what the boys wanted to do, that's what she wanted for us. So you're, you're 16, you're 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, was it the same sort of story like, like me? You, you wanted to get into radio, you went down to oh, yeah. CJOR, and you, and you sat there and you, you bugged somebody until they, they, uh, they said, get this pest out of here or give him a job. No, I was lucky. A guy called Vic Waters uh, encouraged me and said, listen, uh, you know, go in there, there's a little studio there and, and work on it. And so I did every night. You know, I was always late for dinner. <laughs> But no, you, you either have a passion for something or you don't. And I had a passion for this. So, you, you know, you were one of the first uh, disc jockeys, which they don't say that it's word too bad. Anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Some people, I always thought disc jockey was always a great thing to be. And then after a while, some people are, oh, I'm not a disc jockey. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm a personality. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an entertainer. But regardless of that... Uh, you were one of the first DJs to play that evil rock and roll music. Was oh, yeah. it the same, the same sort of feeling here in Canada as it was, you know, down south? It was evil. It was bad. Your parents didn't want you listening to that. No, because I talked to Pat O'Day, who's a friend of mine, uh, who was the program director at KJR, and he said we never had that problem down there. Uh, you know, as as far as, as that goes, parts of the U.S. certainly, but what it was here was, I mean. I mean I brought out a book called uh, Backstage Vancouver, and there's a picture of Louis Armstrong sitting on his luggage because they wouldn't let him stay at the Vancouver Hotel. So Bob Hudson over at the um, Georgia saw this mess and saw Louis sitting there with his luggage, and he went over and said, maybe you're not welcome at the Vancouver Hotel. We'd love to have you. So him and the whole band move over. And when Louis went back to Los Angeles, Louis, like to be called Lewis. Sinatra, he told Sinatra. Sinatra said to all of the people, he was a powerhouse. Yeah, you don't want to mess with Frank. No. He said, when you go to Vancouver, stay at the Georgia. And, that's, and they did. And thank goodness for that. Because that's a, that's a life changer for somebody. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, so it's 1957. Yep. Uh, you move your talents from OR 
yep. to WX. Uh, huge station at the time. Huge. Now, now, people that may not remember, the AM, the FM wasn't in, in existence. No. AM radio stations, 100,000 watt radio stations, they were the powerhouses. Everyone tuned into the radio to listen to this. So, uh, you know, and, and that same year in 1957, you're at WX, and you're, you're front and center meeting and introducing Elvis Presley. Yeah, right. In Vancouver. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, actually, people say, you brought Elvis here. I did not. Hugh Pickett did. Uh, and I got, uh, when Hugh, before he passed away, gave me all of the statistics on that show. For that tour in 1957, Vancouver was the largest. 26,500 people at Empire Stadium. They were crammed to the rafters. And it was amazing. He came out, got into a limo, and, you know, waved to the crowd and got up on stage and uh, I, I introduced him. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis Presley. And what a great guy. But in the dressing room, <laughs> he was a practical joker. I told Joe Esposito, who became friends years later, what a practical joker. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, did you find him to be that way? He said, oh yeah, we have a birthday party and he'd hand out cigars and it all explode except his. <laughs> I said, well, that's, that's something, because what he did with me, we were just sitting in the dressing room for 45 minutes, waiting for the opening acts. And just the two of us, and outside the doors, you know, a couple policemen. So he said, I'll be back in a minute. He goes out to the door, and he says, could I have your cap? You know, your cap? Yeah. Uh, could I have your handcuffs? Uh-huh. And he comes back in and says, we're going to do a scene from Jailhouse Rock, which hadn't come out. It would be out in a month. And uh, he said, put your uh, hands up over that uh, shower rod. And he handcuffed me <laughs> to the rod. And then he threw the key down and said, my God, you're, I'm going to have to go out and introduce myself. You're all tied up. <laughs> so how long were you in there for? Oh, no, it wasn't long. Uh, but it was funny. I can always uh, see his butt and another is looking for the key. <laughs> now, he was a practical joker. Oh, yeah. His, his manager was not. No, Colonel Tom Parker. Tell, tell us about some of the conversations that you had with, uh, with Colonel well, Tom. Well, you know, the DJs got along, and I, I had a friend in Hawaii, uh, and he said, listen, Elvis is making a movie called Paradise Hawaiian Style, and here's his hotel phone number directly into his room. And so I phoned, and the colonel answered. And I thought, I said, oh, hi, it's Red Robinson from Vancouver. And he went on, Vancouver, that's where they called us crooks and we walked away with a fortune. I said, that's right, Dave, you did, didn't you? <laughs> anyway, he said, I'm sorry you missed him. So I've got one of the few, you know, really off-the-cuff interviews with uh, Colonel Parker. Last for 20 minutes, he just went on and on. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny, but he never let me talk to Elvis. Well, and this is the interesting thing about that is that back in the day, now uh, in, in radio and television, and you actually have to ask for people's permission. When you phone someone up and you want to put them on the air, you have to tell them, okay, we're going on the air. Is that okay? Legally, you have to do that. But, yep. but back then, th this guy did that and more. I mean, not a lot of people know, but Red was one of the biggest bootleggers. <laughs> I was. And, and I'm not talking booze here. I'm talking music. He would go down to the States. 
to tell the story uh, about uh, uh, Peggy Lee. Okay. And the fevers. Everyone remember Fever by Peggy Lee? It was her only hit, correct? Yeah. I mean, she had a few more after that, but that was her big one. Oh, yeah. That, is that all there is was a big hit uh, for her, too? No, no. What happened is that little music store, part one of your question, was called Stark Music. And the reason I went to Bellingham to get them is because it's like parts for your car. Everything had to come from Toronto. You know, everything would rip up there, and then I'd wait two weeks, and, you know, I wasn't going to be scooped, so I went down, and I made a deal with them. And if I couldn't go, friends of mine would go down and bring back the records. Uh, what was the other part? Well, no, so Peggy Lee, you went down oh, to Peggy Los Angeles. Lee. I remember a story you related to me a while ago. You went down to L.A. to watch her perform. Yeah. They were doing a telethon, uh, and she did Fever. Broom. You remember Fever? Broom. Anyway, I was a big fan of Peggy Lee. She was a fantastic singer and songwriter. She wrote a song called Manana and a few others. She wrote the music for uh, The Lady and the Tramp for Disney. And she had to sue them to get the money. Tells you about corporations. Anyway, um, she's on there doing it. And a guy from Victoria uh, was now working at Radio Recorders. And his name was Norm Pringle. And he was working at Radio Recorders in Los Angeles. And I phoned him up. I said, hi, how you doing? I'm 22 years old at this point. He said, did you see the telethon last night? I said, no, I'm not watching television. I'm here to have a good time. He said, listen to this. And he played two things by Peggy Lee. One was Fever, and the other was I'm All Right, She's Gone. And I said, could I have that at 15 IPS? You know? big speed on tape, and he said, sure. He gave it to me, I brought it home, put it on the air, people demanded it at Kelly's record store and everywhere else, and I'm, all of a sudden I get a phone call from Toronto saying, where did you get that? Well, I wasn't gonna tell them where I got it, I didn't wanna jeopardize my friendship, and uh, I said, listen, Marilyn Hammond was the promotion lady at Capitol, I said, why don't you phone her and get her to get Peggy Lee into the studio and record it. And that's what happened. We created a hit. See, I mean, the, the, if it wasn't for Red bootlegging a song, Peggy Lee would not have a hit record. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a big round of applause. I think if it wasn't for Red, a lot of people's careers <laughs> would not be where they, well, they wouldn't have started. 